Momentum Men is brought to you by Reup, the creators of resources to disciple men like Jesus did, educating, encouraging, and empowering men to grow in Christ and disciple others, featuring a platform filled with men's Bible studies for individuals or groups. Men, living by his life. Learn more at reuppodcast.com. Reup, proud sponsor of Momentum Australia. You're listening to Momentum, a show that helps men succeed in life. The essential essence of being human is it's a complex composite of, you know, physicality and almost, you know, spirituality, obviously. So these core beliefs, they're an incredibly powerful template that do shape our lives in the most profound ways. Now, here's your hosts, Tim and Dez. Welcome back to Momentum. Once again, it is fantastic to have you tuning in wherever you may be. Really great that you could spend some time with us and I hope you're doing well. Uh, Once again, I've got Des with me. How are you today, Des? You good? I'm doing really well, man. It's great to be back. And while uh, while we're talking about you know, things in general. Just let me mention our website, MomentumAustralia.org. Uh, lots of feedback, lots of information on there. All our previous podcasts are all on there, all 135 of them or something. Amazing. And so you can help us financially also through our website, and that would be greatly appreciated. And also don't forget our care line, which is 1-800-000-MEN. Easy to remember for men, one 800 If you're doing life on your own, and you need a safe and confidential conversation, please reach out to that care line. It's available seven days a week from 9 a.m. to 11 p.m., 1-800-000-636. And the YouTube, of course, Des, as uh, we will mention, that's uh, a brand-new channel. It's got uh, some videos on there, like this one, uh, where you can see us and not just hear us. So I encourage you to check out Momentum for Men on YouTube. And and seriously, avail yourself of the care line if you need this year. Don't, don't do life in isolation. Actually, may this be the year that you actually step into deeper relationships with your, your male friends because it is super, super important that us guys don't do life on our own. And, you know, statistics show that around 80% of people uh, will fail to keep their New Year's resolutions. Maybe that's one of yours is to get connected. Um, you know, they fail that by February. And only 8% of people stick with them for the entire year. The question is, why is that? You know, some of it is to do with the why, you know, in terms of discipline or the lack of discipline. But it could also be something deeper that sits at the very core of who we are. Yeah, we're going to explore that and some more, I'm sure. Once again, with life coach, author and speaker, Jonathan Doyle. It's great to have you back on Momentum, mate. Thanks for coming back. So good to be here with a couple of my favourite humans and uh, (laughs) love listening to your intro. It's just a huge privilege to be able to have these discussions and to encourage and support, you know, all the men listening. And, uh, you know, personally, I've completely figured out all the problems of manhood in life, so it's hard (laughs) for me to relate to what you're doing. But (laughs) for all the mortals out there, you know, because no, very much on the journey with everybody listening, but great to be back. And that's why we have you on the show. <laughs> I see the first two shows on YouTube in our Momentum for Men channel is you. Oh, really? Yeah. There you go. Yeah, so you go on to uh, YouTube, Momentum underscore four underscore men, and you'll see your smiling face on two of the videos. Indeed. That's really Indeed. cool. Yeah. I, th- I think I've lived long enough to realize that, uh, you know, that when God tends to use people, it's – it's rarely because of their own brilliance or success. It's usually because they've, uh, I was speaking in New Orleans a couple of weeks ago and I said, you know, the, the message that I was sharing, I said to them, I, I said to the audience, I'd love to tell you that this message was 
the result of academic brilliance and hard work. I said, it's just the result of, you know, suffering and being beaten to my knees by life <laughs> <laughs> for a long, long period of time. So uh, whatever I have to offer is, is, is come at a cost. I think that's for all of us. That's the most important thing. And for people, men listening, to realize that, you know, what we learn is from the knocks and the tough times. And that's the thing that molds us and shapes us into the people that we become. Mm. Yeah, it does. And I, look, just on that, I've been using a word recently where I talk about people being safe, by which I mean I'm doing a consultancy project at the moment in another city. Uh, and the organization's got, you know, a little under a thousand people in, in its office. And, I, and I'm working with the exec team on, on a big project that they ran. And and a lot of what you hear is kind of how leadership functions and how people treat each other. And mm. one of the learnings that I've taken from that work is that there's a relatively small number of people who are safe, particularly men, like who have who have taken enough knocks and had enough difficulties and sufferings that they're, there's a bit of an ego death. Then they're, they're mm. not as invested in their own agenda and you mm. can trust them. They're safe. And I think yeah. just, you know, let's just, I mean, I'm jumping straight in, but so many of the leadership problems in our world, the structural political problems in our world are because of people in those positions that, you know, they, they just not safe. They haven't been, you know, life may have been hard, but they've taken the wrong lessons from that. And so, mm. yeah, I think it, when when life's hard, th there's a good chance to learn and, and soften a bit. It's mm. good. Uh, I have a friend who's one of his famous sayings is uh, never trust anyone that doesn't walk with a limp. Yeah. And it's and it's from the Bible, you know, where Jacob wrestled and uh, and he's like, you know, when people walk with a limp, they've they've been through some stuff. And uh, and it generally, like you said, it, it shapes them in a different way. Well, I was saying to someone the other day, Tim, you know, uh, I think it's, was it Robert Bly, one of the real progenitors of the men's movement? You know, in his book, Iron John, he, which is really one of the seminal texts of the men's movement in the late 20th century, and he was like, he talked about this thing called the time of ashes, which was, mm. you know, that, that men often have a seasons of success, but then eventually if you live long enough, you get, a time when things don't work and stuff's broken. And, and I think when that happens, you know, you've you got a few options. You can get resentful, aggressive, angry, bitter, vengeful, judgmental, <laughs> yeah. or eventually you can realize that there is, um, there is a throne at the center of the cosmos and you're not on it. <laughs> and once you discover that it opens up some new possibilities so I, I used to hate this message the last thing i'd say is i used to hate this message i used to sit at events and i'd hear people go oh you know i've just got god's really softened me and i've, I've really i'm just there going nah get off this is rubbish push harder <laughs> Uh, anyway. Actually, I love that phrase. The fact that you know we we don't sit on the throne of anything really, and yeah, you know, and God's in control, and you know we just have to do what we what we need to do and push through. Yeah. So yeah. I, I I'd like to claim that as my own, but it's not. It's my favorite contemporary philosopher is a guy called Paul Kingsnorth, who's very very good. And that's the, the the quote comes from him. He says, "There is a throne at the center of the cosmos, and whatever you put on that throne, you will worship it and call it God." Wow! And and you got a lot of options, and yes. and and that's both individually and it's also collectively. So mm. each of us individually will tend to put something there, 
and you know whether it's whether it's financial, it's sexual, it's relational, it's power, and then we'll do it as a society too. So we will certain. I spend a lot of time in the US these days, and and I love it. But embedded in their founding story is a kind of rugged individual exceptionalism. So kind of at the throne of a lot of that reality is pushing harder, striving harder. And there's some good in that too. So, but anyway, you know, the whole old Testament is just one group of people putting the wrong thing on the throne over and over again. And Mm. so there's nothing new in this. This is a a basic archetype of the human journey for all of us. We just got to get the right thing on there. Yeah, no, that's absolutely, that's fundamental, isn't it? That's absolutely core to who we are. So let's. I mean, I, I love the fact that we we always start in one point and we we go. We start light, <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> but but let's let's keep with this, Jonathan, because I mean, there'll be guys listening, right? And we were starting a new year and we're looking at our lives, and yeah, to some degree, some of us will be assessing. I mean, some don't. We just repeat. But for those of us who are assessing and go, wow, what you just said there about putting something on the throne. Um, what would I look at in my life and how would I discern what I've put on the throne? Well, look, the first thing that comes to mind in terms of planning out a new year for men at the macro level, I, I have two words, usefulness and selfishness. You know, I think one of the things you want to think about is being useful. So I spoke at a leadership event last week and I was really big on that. I said, you know, one of the first things you want to be really thinking about is am I being useful? Am I a net benefit to the world or am I basically oh, a drain wow. on reality? So you want to be useful wherever you are. Yeah. That's pretty blunt. <laughs> oh, it's very blunt. Yeah. Well, I mean, usefulness, it's relative, right? So you can be a janitor and be incredibly useful and yes. and you can be just kind and you can be someone that people talk to and you yeah. can have a ministry and a vocation as a janitor. Mm. You can be a president of a nation and be useful. So the first thing is to think about, am I being useful in general? Am I a net benefit to the people in my life, to my, to my family members, to my kids, to my, my wife or partner or spouse. Um, And then um, the selfishness piece, I think that's just been on my mind a bit lately. Just it's easy to gradually just drift into this very subtle mentality that, life should serve me. People should serve me. Mm. Uh, we, we live in a very therapeutic culture. So whenever people are experiencing some form of suffering or discomfort, the, the, the default mechanism is blame. It's like, there must be yeah. a reason for this and someone's causing it. So then I just go to the archetypes. I'd say, even if you're not Christian, look at, look at the Christian archetype. The The cross itself is, what we would say is emblematic. It's communicating in its essence, which is the essential Christian message is that the most powerful force in the cosmos decided to serve, decided to put the needs of others before itself. So life's not complex. You just need to, (laughs) that's the archetype and no one's going to do it perfectly. But I think if we, if we try to be generative, um, you know, in the masculine archetype, we'd say that the feminine is receptive, the masculine is generative. So, to be to be serving, to be sacrificial, um, and it's in the smallest details. It's in the smallest details of daily life as a man. Like yesterday with my kids, you know, I'm still getting over jet lag, but it's just the small things. I went and bought Monopoly and played Monopoly, and just doing those little things that you 
you might prefer to do something else. So usefulness, selfishness, generativity. Mm. Well, that's so good. And, you know, it's uh, if every one of us took an ounce of that and implemented that in our lives, the world would be totally different. It'd be a totally different totally, world, yeah. yeah? But yeah. but we don't. You're, I mean, you're right. We are selfish and we tend to focus on ourselves. We put ourselves on that throne that we talked about earlier. Part of the whole, if we're a person of faith, right, the whole dying to self is something that we're familiar with. But I, I think, uh, you know, what you're saying there is uh, not just dying to what the Lord wants for my life, but like you said, dying to serving those around us. So, you know, like as husbands, for example, with our wives, I mean, the it's a we've talked about this on momentum before i think the scripture you know in ephesians where husbands love your wives uh, wives submit to your husbands uh, the, the, the husbands the first up you know, the responsibility is firstly on us to love our wives and then out of that there's a there's an ease of submission for her but but it's then how do i do that on a day-to-day basis how do i love my wife sacrificially and doing the things that again i don't feel like doing like with my wife my kids those around me but dying to self on a moment by moment basis, serving those around me, um, will will then not in turn just bring a different version of me, but will help bring a different version of them forth too. That's so good, Tim. You know, as you guys know, I'm turning fifty tomorrow, and uh, many years ago, I heard this older man say that, you know, he said, "When men get older, they only ever do one or two things: they either get uh, they either get holy or they get cranky." <laughs> And I love that. that. That stayed with me. And and my experience has been mostly more cranky than holy in general. Like, yeah. so the offer is who do you want to become over the life project, over the time you have? And mm. so I'll give you a practical example, and, and I, I only offer it not in any way to blow my own trumpet, but, you know, Karen's been carrying a huge amount as you guys know, one of our kids has got a very serious life-changing diagnosis. And so she's been carrying that and really tired. And, you know, yesterday I just sort of put my foot down. I said, Kaz, like I said, when you come in, when you get home, you, you got to check out, like you're out. I'm, I'm doing dinner. I'm hanging with the kids. You're going to bed now. And I did that. It was awesome. And it was really good for her. And I'm going to do it the next few nights until she gets some balance back. But yeah, mm. The point is I'm not a night person. I'm a morning person. So I'm yeah. a 3 a.m., 4 a.m. guy. So I can promise you that last night at about 9, 30, 10, <laughs> when I'm just still playing Monopoly and trying to you know, hurt cats, <laughs> my kids are still pretty young, so I'm hurting cats, right? Yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. So that wasn't pleasant as such, but it was a, it, it was a decision to, to put the needs of someone else before my own. Now, the last thing on this that's really important is – I've been teaching a lot on Neo-Pelagianism, which really simply Pelagius was a monk in the fourth century who kind of believed that when Christ died on the cross, humans were given absolutely everything they needed to live perfectly. Mm. And if they weren't living perfectly, well, it couldn't be Christ's fault. It obviously had to be the individual's fault. And like every heresy, there's a lot of truth in it. Mm. It it emphasizes one thing to the exclusion of another. And what it means is develop this theology of striving, which is I should do the right thing and I know what the right thing is. So if I'm not doing the right thing, well, then I've really got to try harder. And that's neo-Pelagianism. Now, it's really complex because you do need to try. You do need to make decisions and efforts, but you can't do it at the expense of grace, which is a, a prayerful disposition of 
wherever the listeners are with their faith journey, like whether you're a, a, a Christian or you're a person open to faith, it's this belief that there is a, 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 a presence, a, the presence of God that will give us the ability over time to do things that we may not want to do. So it's, mm. it's both. And we need to do practical, obvious things, but when they're hard, don't just assume that the answer is to grit it out and work harder. It's it's a prayerful disposition to, Lord, help me to love this person. Help me to love mm. this kid. Help me to mm. love this spouse. I don't feel like it. Am I going to fail? Am I going to have setbacks? And we get up again. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. I love that. We're going to take a short break. I mean, it's always a, and we could keep going, Jonathan, but we are going to take a short break and come back. Jonathan Doyle is our special guest on this week's Momentum. Always great topic and uh, conversation. So stay tuned. In the meantime, check out our website as we go to a break, MomentumAustralia.org. We'll be back real soon. This is Momentum, a show that helps men succeed in life. Find out more at MomentumAustralia.org. Okay, welcome back to Momentum. Thanks so much for coming back and uh, joining us once again with uh, Jonathan Doyle on this week's show and uh, always great conversation as we launch in with Jonathan. Jonathan, we were talking in the first part of the show um, about you know the idea of serving others and what that means for us. Um, let's then, as we you know, as we step into a new year and we're looking at that and how we might tweak our lives, let's come back to ourselves for a moment because obviously we carry ourselves with us wherever we go. And how we think about ourselves will shape how we view other people, right? I mean, generally, often how we treat other people is a, a filter of how we actually treat or think about ourselves. So so let's start with and something we've kind of touched on before, but core beliefs. Um, how, do, how do we, firstly, how do we discover what our core, core beliefs might be? Because that's it's kind of crucial, right? When we're all carrying core beliefs, whatever age we are, and yet some of them might be so faulty or skewed or out of date uh, that they really need to be updated. So how do we start identifying our core beliefs? Well, we love to indulge ourselves in the illusion of rationality, right? Like we like to believe <laughs> that we are rational creatures. We always act in our best interest and we see reality as it truly is, right? <laughs> That's what everybody would like to. That would be great. <laughs> If you ask people, if you said, so do you think you see reality the way it really is? Like, who's going to say, no, nah, I don't. I'm just completely <laughs> biased. Um, so we are a mysterious, mysterious creation. Um, somebody once referred to us as angels, you know, part angel, part animal. Mm. The, the the essential essence of being human is it's a complex composite of, you know, physicality and almost, you know, spirituality, obviously. So these core beliefs, yeah, they're, they're an incredibly powerful template that do shape our lives in the most profound ways. I often think of Carl Jung's famous quote. He said, you know, unless you make the unconscious conscious, it will run your life and you will call it fate. Uh, wow. It's a brilliant, it's a brilliant quote. Like, yeah. you know, Jung was, was a pretty strange cat, but, that that's good. Like, you know, the unconscious mind is definitely a thing. And the way I used to prove it to people on stage was I'd say, you know, we'd be talking about something and I'd say to them, can you remember where you were on Christmas day last year? And everybody would suddenly stop and go, yeah, they could. Right. And I'd, then I would say to them, where was that memory before I asked you? Like yes, they weren't yeah. thinking about that until I primed them and prompted them to think about it. So that memory was obviously stored somewhere and it wasn't stored in consciousness. So 
there's obviously this huge realm of our experience that exists below the level of our daily conscious mind. Mm-hmm. And this, of course, is shaped, you know, powerfully by life experiences. Uh, it's pretty fair to suggest that obviously our our formative years as children when we're shaping us into reality, sure. there is mystery here. Like you can, you can take someone who's had a pretty good childhood but end up just making horrendous choices, you know, and, and blowing their life apart. And then you can have people, you know, recommend reading Eddie Jaku's book, The Happiest Man in the World, or go and read Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. You know, you can find people that go through horrendous experiences in life, but then somehow cross a parameter, a, a threshold, and decide to believe different things. So I'm. I, I wish I could give people a really clear answer. I, I'll definitely say that our core beliefs uh, are very powerful. They shape our sense of reality. You know, I often tell a story of um, you know when my father died, we had a very difficult relationship, and and we grew up with a lot of poverty and a lot of financial stress. And I remember going into the hospital, and he wasn't in a very good way, and we just bought our first house at this point, which was a big deal for us. And I remember saying to him at his bedside, I said, Oh dad, I said, I bought the house. I said, we settled yesterday. And you know, he just said to me, he goes, Oh, you're an idiot. He goes, you can't afford that. You'll, you'll never keep it. You'll, Mm. you'll, you'll never. And those were actually the last words he ever said to me in this world. And those kind of formative experiences and profound things can, can shape your sense of who you are. And unless you do the work of critiquing them. Yes. Mm. And I think that's work. I think I do a lot of journaling again. Like I've just started doing a lot of journaling again. And sometimes it's doing what Jung said, making the unconscious conscious. So I would say to men that there's two ways to do this. I think walking actually is a good thing, going for walks and actually just no music, just thinking, just going, what do I believe about the world? Why, why am I, why am I on my third marriage? You can't just be that I picked three, the three wrong women three times. Like there's got to be something else going on here or, you know, why do I drink this much? Or, you know, why do I keep having conflict at work? No matter who the boss is, why does that keep showing up? Like beginning to go, that's courage. You got to have courage to do that. Like people don't want to do it. Um, so mm. I would say that a journaling can really help. I've, I've wrestled with this my whole life. Like I, I came from a background of a lot of trauma and abuse. And I think I lived most of my life under this sense of God being basically angry and, wow. and me being, and I've, I've wrestled with that my whole life. And it's just been this constant, I've got to keep catching myself doing it. Yeah. And, and so I, I'm, yeah, I wish I could give you something clearer other than to agree that it's crucially important and if you don't make the unconscious things conscious, they're going to keep running your life forever. I think it's really cool what you said about going for a walk and just doing the quiet. Because I totally agree with that, by the way, in terms of isolation time, thinking things through. The other side of it, of course, is having people in your world that you can talk to about those mm-hmm. things that are happening in your world. So you got that dichotomy, you know, time on your own, but also time with others. And so it's important we have both, isn't it? There's... There's something you said that's really, really important. I am on a crusade about this one thing, which is I think we have a cultural crisis of listening. I think 
I, I, I have a big problem with this at the moment because I get paid to work with senior exec teams. And I think what I'm really getting paid to do is, yeah, I synthesize information and, but what I'm really getting paid to do is listen to people. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not counseling people. I'm just literally listening to them. I'm just giving them a place where they yeah. can say things that they can't feel free to say elsewhere. And I've noticed that I'm just on this thing. We're a very therapeutic culture. We are many of us. I say this very cautiously paying all sorts of professionals to do something for us that our communities did for thousands of years, yeah. which was mm. give us a place to be heard. Yeah. Mm. Um, you, you know, yeah. there's, there's, you know, I can think of a pastor that I know who's really quite brilliant, amazing skill set, fantastic person. But I've been noticing watching them, and I'm not part of that church. So I'm not having, a, I'm not whining about it. But I'm just saying, they're so busy and moving so fast that. I've noticed that they struggle to listen and be present. Um, so one of the things that we can start to really be conscious of and we really should think about doing for each other is really getting good at the listening piece. Yeah. Mm. And you've got to have one or two days. I know this is what you guys do so well. You've got to have one or two people in your life. And I just, man, people just don't interrupt. You know, people like you, you tell people something and they go, oh, yeah, yeah I've, I've had that problem and this happened. I'm going, no, don't do that. <laughs> just don't <laughs> don't compare your story to theirs. Yeah. <laughs> just just give them the space yeah. and the place and the time to yeah. be heard. Yes. There's something about being human. Yeah. We, we want to be seen and we want to be heard. And I think that's a massive missing piece of our cultural journey at the moment. Yeah, it's huge. I just actually just want to let that sink in because I think you're right. I think that's absolutely huge. To be seen and to be heard and fully known and fully loved is is huge. It is so powerful, Tim. It's like if a man feels completely accepted and heard, then that doesn't mean is whoever's listening to him is going to give him a free pass. Yeah. Mm. Mm. You know, they may say a few days later, they might say, you know, when I've got some ideas about what you've said, mm. would you like to talk about that? But, but, but don't just, you know, I had a conversation with somebody the other day and it was quite a deep conversation, but it, it reminded me of what I grew up with, which was, you know, God bless him. My father, like no matter what I would say to him growing up about a problem, his default response was, Oh, you think you've got problems? <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> Oh dear. God, God, God bless him, right? He got, he didn't have the tools. And, yes. but yes. it just, it was all the time. And I, I just, I think there's such a power in listening. And I know that on this mm. podcast, I'm doing all the talking, but if you met mm. me in a different context, mm. I am so darn interested in people. I just find mm. them so interesting. I'm like, I just sit and listen to people and it's, mm. it's a great privilege. So I think we've got to start doing it more for each other. Can I ask you, what was it in you that changed you from uh, at, you know, where you were with your father in terms of you know, putting you down, you think you've got problems, I've got problems, to where you are now? Now, you've obviously made a huge leap in terms of your core beliefs, your core attitudes, your engagement with people. What was the driver for that? How did you go through that journey? I'd say probably 30 years of suffering. That's encouraging. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> There's two ways to learn in life, right? You can either 
hear somebody else's experience and make the changes or you can do it yourself. And so right. if anyone's listening, feeling slightly deflated right now, don't feel, don't feel <laughs> deflated, just listen carefully, take the shortcuts. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, for me, it was, um, you know, coming from a background of sexual abuse and trauma, um, you know, depression, PTSD, anxiety, panic disorder, uh, so there's just a great question. And what would I honestly, my default answer would be grace. I would have to say, really? Like I cooperated. So there's a great quote from St. Augustine in the fourth century where he said, he who made you without your cooperation will not save you without your cooperation. Oh, wow. So we didn't get a we didn't get a vote if we got created. We never got to choose that part. Mm. We do get a vote in whether or not we want to be saved, transformed, yeah. redeemed. We get a vote on that. And so by the grace of God and a lot of good people, good good priests, good pastors, uh, you know, and, and an amazing wife, I think I've just, God has showed up for me. You know, in New Orleans the other day, I had 6,000 people in the room and I'm like, I was reading, I think, from Psalm 18 where it just talked about that the Lord looked down and he saw my distress and led me out into a wide and spacious place. I mean, that's my testimony. You know, I'm yeah. turning 50 tomorrow and that's the testimony that I, I tried to probably cooperate, but I, I still struggle, right? Like I still, you know, have the occasional setback and I still can fall back into, but I would say the big stuff, the depression, the anxiety, that stuff is gone and mm. – um Grace, I, I'd love to give you a nice humanistic psychological answer, but I think really that the, that the God who is on the throne at the center of the cosmos has taken a personal interest in me and yeah. and tra transformed my life over time. Brilliant. I love that answer, by the way. <laughs> Can I bounce off the back of that? And maybe we'll finish with this because I was going to ask before Dave's jumped in with that question was a very similar question to go, how, how do you overcome those final words from your father? when that's the final thing that you hear from him, like how do you then, you know, move that forward without holding on to that and that hurting you and stopping you and hindering you? So I just wanted to quickly say, and you, you talked about grace, and I, and I just want to quickly share, I've shared a bit about my story with my mom, and it was not a great relationship. And when my mom died in January 21, um, there was a mix of feelings with that, but I'd made peace myself, even though we'd never reconnected and, and rebuilt the relationship, I'd found peace with that. I'd found the forgiveness peace within that. But I remember last year, it was the strangest thing. I think it was around Christmas time. I don't, I don't know why I was in, I was opening the refrigerator door to get something out. And I, and I had this moment where I just burst into tears. And I, and in that moment, I apologized to God. And I said, Lord, I'm sorry for the way that I treated my mum as a result of the way that she treated me because she she rejected me first, but then I rejected her back, right? And it, it was kind of like I'd made peace with that peace and then all of a sudden in that moment, I realized that I, I needed to have forgiveness too for the way that I'd responded to the way that she treated me. And it was really interesting. You say the grace piece and I know everybody's, you know, there's, there's some horrific journeys and, and it does take time and, and a process and, and whatever. But I think you're right. I think grace and forgiveness to go, hey, I can look back and go, my mom did the best with what she was given in life and she didn't have the tools either. And I responded to that in a really poor way. And then I did the same thing. So 
you know what I mean? It's like the grace piece and the forgiveness piece. I think you're right. It's huge. Yeah. A couple of thoughts, I guess the first would just be to, to, to tag the important reality that there is a world shattering power in forgiveness And it's something very easy to talk about, to say, oh, but we should forgive people. And there'll be people listening to this right now who'll be thinking, yeah, but usually what they'll say is, Mm. sure, but you don't know, Mm. fill in the blank, Mm. what I went through, right? Um, So unforgiveness over whatever period of time leads to bitterness and resentment, and it, it just eats away at you. And forgiveness in itself seems to have this phenomenal psychological power. It is a thermonuclear device in the psychological world. It's it's a decision to forego your own claim to some kind of justice in a sense mm. and to, to free yourself and others from, from whatever has caused genuine harm. And it's, I'm putting language around something. It's very simple to use the language, but people's experiences can be very powerful. But mm. all I can say first is that it's an incredibly powerful, powerful psychological tool for healing. Um, you know, the word decision, if you talk about making a decision for forgiveness, decision comes from the Latin decisio, which means to cut off from. Mm. So if you think of a surgeon makes an incision, a decision is to cut something away. So the decision for forgiveness is a, in its first instance, is a psychological, intellectual, will-based decision to cut off from all of the bitterness, all of the, because you're justified, right? Like there'll be people Mm. listening, but you don't know Mm. what they did. And I go, no, I don't know what they did. And I think you're justified. And always what I would say to people, if they would talk to me after events about this kind of stuff, I would say to them, right, look, you're right what happened to you is objectively awful. You're right. What they did was horrendous. And then I would say three really important words. And now what? Mm. And now what? Like what, what happens now? Do you just carry this around like luggage and give it to your own kids? Like Mm. how much approximately how much more of your life do you want to carry this around? And so the other thing was many years ago when I was starting to work through all of my own you know, wounding and trauma was this, I was talking to this Christian psychologist and he had this theory called the hero. He said that if you look at generational lines, generational dysfunction just gets repeated, right? So Mm. different patterns just get repeated and repeated and repeated. And he said, what you will find is in a certain generation, a particular person will decide that this will not be allowed to continue. Mm. And they said, usually it will be the person in the system who's been most harmed by the system, Mm. but they will take the system in a new direction. So he said, if you, if you look at an Abraham or a Moses, they break like the, 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 the the reset, the reciprocal pattern and they move it somewhere else. Mm. So for me, like my son is, you know, 14 and I just adore him. And, I just, I just absolutely, we're not doing this again. We're not replaying my mm. father and me over again. We're done. So, mm. um, so you make, you, you decide that you're going to be the man that creates the generational change. Mm. And finally, you know, just, just acceptance of my own father's story, like of the trauma in his story, the loss in his story, and just this over time by God's grace, just the sadness for him, like just, oh my gosh, you know, 
you never got to live the life that you could have lived because of what happened to you. And and mm. so this 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 sadness and peace comes over time. So that's mm. a lot there, but yeah, you know, we're not meant yeah. to live in this. We're not meant to live in bitterness and resentment. We're just not. It's it's toxic for us and it it binds us up and we're not meant to live that way. Mm. Man, there's a lot in that. And I just want to say as we end the show, if if that is bringing stuff up for you, this conversation, uh, the care line number again, 1-800-000-636. That's 1-800-000-MEN. Uh, if you need a safe, confidential conversation and you feel like maybe there's something you want to talk about that's not good to talk with your family members or even a close friend you want someone that's just neutral uh the care line is there for exactly that type of thing 1-800-000-636 and get connected generically uh momentumaustralia.org there's options there if you want to reach out to us at momentum we'll see what we can do to help you out but um yeah there's been some good stuff in the show as we always expect when we chat with jonathan doyle (laughs) we go deep pretty quick and we go in all sorts of different directions but there's lots of meat in there and jonathan as always man thanks for your vulnerability thanks for being on the show it's been a pleasure love it guys thanks for having me really appreciate it you've been listening to momentum a show that helps men succeed in life for more information or to hear this week's show again go to momentumaustralia.org You can also access a whole range of resources to help you on your journey and to get in touch with the team at MomentumAustralia.org. Until next time, keep moving forward with Momentum.